Don't You Want Me, a podcast series taking a light-hearted look at the most relatable, intriguing and dysfunctional relationships in film. I'm Barbie. And I'm Ken. Barbie has a great day every day, but Ken only has a great day if Barbie looks at him. Hi, Barbie! Tonight we'll be going down the plastic slide with Greta Gerwig's 2023 smash hit comedy caper Barbie. Written with Noah Baumbach, creator of 2019's Marriage Story, this film sees director Greta Gerwig follow up the success of 2017's Lady Bird, 2019's Little Women. Both she and Baumbach have previously collaborated on films such as Greenberg, Francis Hart and Mistress America, but none of these projects touch the hem of the financial success of Barbie, which is so far 2023's biggest box office hit worldwide. What is it about the pairing of Barbie and Ken that has captured the public's imagination? What does the film tell us about relationships, real world ones or otherwise? Did you lose interest in the patriarchy once you found out it wasn't about horses? If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating or review in your podcast app of choice. Help us make this the best day ever. And because this film is still in cinemas, we feel the need to point out at this juncture that this episode will absolutely contain plenty of shiny pink spoilers. So please try to catch the film before listening. You won't regret it. Hi, Barbie. Hey, Ken. Not to play into the hands of the patriarchy, but I feel the need to point out this is our third Ryan Gosling film that we've tackled. Yes. On this podcast. <laughs> One might think we're specialising. This time round, we're talking about Barbie. And uh, I mean, this film took forever to get here. And finally, it came off the shelves. And uh, it was um, all the hype that it might have been just this hyper big pink monstrosity. And it was actually a an existential crisis and a look at relationships and all these kind of weird bonds in between. It was a very deep story. Yes, I feel as if I slightly bossed you into going to see it at the cinema, Rich. So thank you for that. No, well, I say I didn't boss you sufficiently enough to go and see Oppenheimer. So no, no, not as yet. <laughs> uh, how did you find it seeing it at the cinema? From, from my point of view, I kind of had this idea from yeah, you because know, I didn't see it till maybe five or six weeks after it came out, and. I wasn't really sure what to expect. I think beforehand, when you see the trailers and the promotional stuff and you kind of think it's Barbie and you think it's all pink and about dolls. But um, the more you hear about it and about how, you know, that they've written it in a way that, you know, Barbie essentially starts losing her identity in some regard and has to go to the real world and solve her problems. And uh, But everything you heard was about, the relationship between her and Ken was cleverly done and the, and the nuance is there because you kind of think Barbie and Ken, and certainly because I didn't have Barbies as a child. So, you know, I just assumed that Barbie and Ken were, you know, a couple or married or whatever, but, uh, but in Barbie world and in this film, they're very much not a standard couple, are they? No, not at all. Not at all. Well, it's, uh, you know, it's all sort of set on this premise, isn't it? That, Barbie has a great day every day, but Ken only has a great day if Barbie says hi to him. So, or looks at him, rather. Yeah. He exists purely for Barbie and for her pleasure or otherwise. And his whole identity revolves around being noticed by her and her giving, well, say, giving him the time of day. But I guess that scene where he went to the real world and someone asked him the time of day and made him feel all powerful. The writing of Ken in particular, it seems to take aim at a very specific range of men, i.e. the reply guy online. <laughs> Ken realising, you know, he's come into a world where essentially men run most most things. The patriarchy, as he discovers, although without as many horses anymore, and, um, and Barbie realising what it's like to be pretty much a woman. I, I think it was well done, and I think it's it's very subtle. But no, I know. I think the relationship here, you know, we we like to talk about who holds the cards and the power balance and and things like that. And it's interesting to see here because the film is Barbie and it's not Ken. You know, she's very much the main character, and it's and it's so I think well done in how they've placed Ken. That even the the narration at the beginning, like we said in the quote, you know, from Helen Mirren, you know, Ken's whole purpose is to be noticed by Barbie. You know, he's an accessory basically, um, 
and yet Barbie goes and has a girls' night. And when he says, "Can I stay over?" and she's like, "No, you can go now. I'm having my girls' night." And girls' nights every night. That scene, as you've touched on, where they go into the real world, something that I um, found out that was really interesting was that when they were filming that scene. Uh, it was kind of true to life what they were capturing there in the sense that all the guys that were passing Ryan Gosling were high-fiving him and just giving him a lot of respect for, you know, being a really cool movie star that he is. And um, whereas with Margot Robbie, you know, she was sort of being sort of viewed in a slightly different way. Either people were ignoring her or maybe there might have been the kind of the odd lecherous glance or something. So she wasn't really being kind of treated as an A-lister in that kind of way that Ryan Gosling was. So that moment that they capture with her looking really kind of quite uncomfortable and like, oh, hang on, what, a, what kind of world is this? Is kind of, you know, a, a piece of reality there. And so that's really, you know, sort of shows you, shows you how maybe that transition from childhood into adulthood for women can, can be a bit arresting in terms of what it, what it flings you into. Yeah, especially when you're not used to it. And, uh, you know, she's come from a world where women dominate every position of society um, and and the way it's written. And the, the, there's a female president and the Supreme Court are all women and doctors winning the Nobel Prizes and the guys are the cheerleaders for the volleyball, uh, which is a nice nod to Top Gun, I think. Of course, <laughs> another mention of Top Gun. And um, I think, I mean, it's amusing because I guess if you're an adult, you see the satire there. You see the parody of, of real life and the fact that when they go to the real world, this is how things are. And obviously, Ryan Gosling having his eyes open to a world where men have the power by looking at books about horses and trucks and seeing men working out with posters of Rocky Three, images of Bill Clinton and Sylvester Stallone. It's just kind of... It's it's like a bit like Team America. It's just that kind of, yeah, we'll chuck all this in. And you can... That look of wonder on his face it's like when he's setting foot in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory yeah completely another shot that they show as a reference point is a shot of uh, John Travolta doing Grease Lightning which is a film that we have covered on this podcast Mm. and I think that's a really good performance to compare it to actually from Ryan Gosling and the kind of role he's playing uh it's very like Danny Zuko in a lot of ways. And and the I'm Just Ken song is quite like um, Stranded at the Drive-In, Branded a Fool. You know, it's got that feeling. I mean, obviously, if Greece takes a turn where uh, it's not really the same kind of, um, shall we say, lesson as Barbie, but... <laughs> but there is, a, there, there is a point in Greece, I think maybe that middle, that middle bit where... Danny's sort of, you know, trying to train himself up at the gym and trying to find a purpose other than just being a T-bird in order to be able to uh, win Sandy. I think that feels quite Ken, doesn't it? That whole bit, like what, like what is Danny? Who is Danny? You know, what, what's his purpose other than just being, you know, cool Danny Zuko? It's very like Ken. Yeah, so a nice little sort of play there because I think if that had been, if they decided to make this movie in the late seventies. They, they would have been a cast that they'd have looked to do in the way that putting them together in that kind of Ginger Rogers, Fred Astaire way. Just a, they, they're a pair, they'll go together in anything. But um, but I, I think that that's part of why it works so well as a pairing and that because Ken has these insecurities, you know, you think you're the casual observer. You think, oh, Ryan Gosling, A-list star and... You know, women flock around you know this handsome guy and yet he yeah. just stands there waiting to be noticed by the real star because this is barbie's dream house this is barbie's world and we're all just watching you know essentially she's being played with and ken just stands there it's um and, and the the interplay between him and the other kens is hilarious this is <laughs> the i think is it the first dance sequence where they're at the dream house where she first ponders about death and he's kind of looking from the side all sort of brewing and sort of passes his cup to the other Ken as he goes and joins in this dance number. Yeah, it's wonderful. Looks so insecure while doing it in his sort of wonderful matching tracksuits. It's a really nicely put together thing. Yeah, it's so funny. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an extremely funny performance from him. And 
I, I think that's the thing, even though on the one hand, one can define the dynamic as, yeah, you know, Ken superfluous and it's all about Barbie. But that's not what the film's doing. The film actually gives Ken arguably, you know, some of the best lines. Shredding waves is much more dangerous than people realize. You're very brave, Ken. Thank you, Barbie. Yeah. You know, surfer's not even my job. I know. And it is not lifeguard, which is a common misconception. Very common. Yeah, because actually my job, it's just beach. Right. And what a good job you do at beach. Guess arguably, while the film is about Barbie and she goes on the journey in many ways, he comes back and has to realize that, you know, we've, I say we joke about it before, with great power comes great responsibility. And he, invents the patriarchy and sets it all off but uh some guys just can't handle being outguided by each other and the kind of the fight that turns into a dance that's something like that's almost a bit west side story isn't it oh yeah very west side story completely yeah i love that bit <laughs> it's really really great I went to see it, uh, I've seen it two times at the cinema now, and one of the times I went to see it with my um, niece and nephews, and one scene that I was very excited for my nephews to see was that incredible battle scene with all the plastic weapons. I thought that was really (laughs) fantastic on the big screen, so so they liked that a lot. Have they seen anything like Gladiator or Ben-Hur or something to compare it to? Oh, yeah, they've seen they've seen all of those. They yeah. they love that kind of thing. Yes, this is this is the they will have got the references there. But um, yeah, one one thing that I think is really interesting and in how it kind of delves into man woman dynamics with romantic relationships is how once Ken has had a bit of a taste of the real world, he thinks that you know the way to make progress with Barbie rather than to adore her from afar is to be incredibly ambivalent towards her. And, you know, what are they all called? The Kens called Barbie, you know, the, it's like the super casual girlfriend, super long-term, long distance, low commitment, casual girlfriend. (laughs) And I think he actually says that does the label, Long-term, low-distance, low-commitment, casual girlfriend mean nothing to her? <laughs> yeah, I thought that was so funny. And I think really, you know, delves a little bit into how uh, guys think maybe they should treat women that they like in order to gain the upper hand. And, you know, I mean, you can see why he's struggling with it because adoring her and being you know, just at her beck and call isn't working for him. So he resorts to this after getting a bit of the real world. And, and that's that's what he tries instead. Do you think that men in the real world kind of struggle with knowing which extreme to take and, and that sometimes they might just pretend to be ambivalent because they're trying to gain a bit of the upper hand? Um, possibly. I think that there, there might be an element of the old playground pulling pigtail kind of stuff going on a little bit of you know the old cliche of was it treat him mean keep him keen something like that but um i think that's the thing he's struggling because for all his existence he's been doting and afar and like you said it hasn't worked or at least it hasn't had the desired effect and even at the beginning where he asks to go around and she says to do what he says i don't actually know because he's learning and all the, he's having his eyes open to all these new experiences of you know the real world and the horses and the trucks and Stallone and i think when he comes back and he turns into like this ultimate douchebag really with all this turning the dream house into his, his dojo mojo casa house <laughs> way around it is and yes. um and all of a all of a sudden the female characters and the barbies start well, I think they refer to it as being brainwashed into becoming sort of subservient to them and the 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 roles being sort of reversed or, or mirroring more like the real world. So uh, I guess he gets a little bit of power and decides that, yeah, I'm going to do that now because I'm the powerful one, whereas that's not how Barbie treated him at all. She didn't treat him mean. She just treated him as, as the song said, you know, she sees me as just a friend. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I like the way the horses the horses feel 
like a bit of a nod to the Holy Grail, I think. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of British influence in this film. I think one way or the other. What with the Pride and Prejudice reference. And oh God, yes, that bit. I, well, I, we knew I knew you'd be coming to that at some point. But um, was that your favourite part of the film? Yeah, I felt very seen at that moment. I must. <laughs> and she's going to watch the BBC's Pride and Prejudice for the seventh time until she falls asleep. The of our families is such that any alliance between us must be regarded as a highly reprehensible connection. Anxiety, panic attacks, and OCD sold separately. To get into the guy's good books, it's like I've never seen The Godfather. Why don't you talk all the way through it and explain it to me? That was just <laughs> a dig at most guys. And let's be honest, most guys who probably listen to this podcast. Hello, all of you. You said that you felt very seen by that bit on Twitter. I saw that you said that. Yeah, I felt like that's kind of, I guess if you're a guy who likes films and someone with the kind of puppy eyes comes up to you and says, I've never seen this. Tell me what happens. And, and encouraging you to spend the next three hours talking about it. I mean, he said, this is Coppola's masterpiece. And it, um, yeah, I wonder if Petros saw that as well. But um, you think about how, you know, that is very, I mean, it's not subtle, but it was nicely done the way it was like, right, how can we get these guys to just suddenly become com- a bit more compliant? And, you know, that little bit of praise just to kind of get them to be distracted from what they're actually trying to do. Uh, that was very much a, a film bros kind of thing. But uh yeah, it was really well done. It was, it was clever. Yes, and the thing of them playing on their guitars, staring uncomfortably <laughs> into the girl's eyes. If anyone's ever been to a festival and sitting, sit there's always a, someone always brings the guitar, don't they? Yes, or a party. House parties can end up with a lot of that kind of thing. Playing Wonderwall. Yeah, I mean, did you find the relationship between uh, Gloria and Sasha affecting? Like how how did you relate to that bit as as it went through the film? I, I think it was interesting because I mean it wasn't if you're coming into this film blind, you, you're not going to expect to see a kind of mother daughter relationship involved, and I think again you're kind of looking at this as a bigger picture and how Barbie's changed over the years and and the fact that um, Gloria played with Barbies and it was her Barbie that developed the issues because of her sadness in life because you assume that barbie is a child's toy but of course she would she would have been a child when she'd have had a barbie and and i think while the kind of mother-daughter dynamic was a little bit cliche in that they don't get on they're a little bit you know the, the feisty daughter and and that you've seen that in in many films i mean it's similar to the relationship they had in like true lies something like that but uh but i think the fact that they they came together and i think because sasha then remembered you know maybe remember is not the right word but she kind of saw her mother really take charge and step into her role as kind of reminding the barbies of what they were and i think that that monologue that she gave to kind of initially break that first brainwashing um was quite powerful and i suppose if you're a 14 15 year old girl seeing your mum deliver something like that that's probably probably quite impressive on a young mind would you say yeah completely i mean i think it's impressive anyway as a as a monologue it's quite an interesting thing to come out of such a you know as you as you said when you went to see it at the cinema if you see if you see something with mattel on it and it's called barbie and everyone's sort of queuing to see it dressed in pink you don't necessarily expect there to be um america ferrera delivering a monologue that like that in the middle of this kind of film, which is what makes it such a fascinating film. It's got so many elements to it. And that monologue, I thought this is this is interesting because I think it will really divide people. Like some some people will find this very emotionally affecting, I think, because it'll resonate with them. Other other people, it might, you know, with certain guys, I thought it, it, she might be kind of bringing up ideas about what it might be like to be a woman in this society that might not necessarily have occurred to them. Uh, And also I thought other people might not like it at all. Other people might just think, Hey, we're just here for a fun night out. And um, you're telling us, you know, sort of to think, 
to think a little bit about how difficult it can be to be liked as a woman because you kind of feel like whatever you do, people are going to find you irritating. We don't get to see films for messages. Come on. <laughs> I mean, how did how did you respond to it as a man? <laughs> I, I, could, I could hear the air quotes there. Um, I, <laughs> um, I, I think, I mean, it was kind of... It was powerful, and I think the way it was written, and I guess because of the people involved in making this film, this isn't going to be a light, fluffy thing. I, th- I mean, there, there's going to be some substance and some behind it, you know, I mean, of, of good comedy stock as well. But still, yeah, um, you know, ultimately, if you're going to tackle Barbie in a way that's not just a flimsy Netflix 90-minute rubbish thing that a lot of these shows end up being... I think you've got to put something in there. And I guess, you know, yes, this film does have a message. And yes, this film does have a kind of a point to raise, if not to kind of shove it in your face. But, you know, it's something there that, you know, a lot of people will either need to hear this or will hear it and just think, yeah, you know what? It's made me made me think. But I think, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's there. And because we've had a glimpse of this world where women are in charge and everyone got on except for Ken and the other Ken, but you know, they're, they're fairly irrelevant in the grand scheme of things. And yet when the guys take over, the women are made to feel terrible and, you know, uh, maybe a reflection on, on real life there. But I think, um, I think they, they found a happy balance in the end, even if Ken is still struggling to find his identity. Yeah. I mean, I think that part of why they're made to feel terrible is because the, the 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 men are sort of just taking some of the kind of messages that they've they've learned out in the real world and then kind of applying it to to their world in a way that they're not necessarily doing kind of deliberately because I think one of them says at the end like I I don't even really care about this anymore I just miss I just miss my friend Barbie yeah. and you know you you kind of have a feeling that they're sort of thrashing around just trying to find a kind of you know way of asserting themselves but it's not necessarily that they want to do it in that way it's just that you know that's all they've managed to pick up from the real world because because that's the I suppose the sort of strongest messages you might get from the real world like if you know I mean that's the thing like some of the do you do you think that when you watch a film like Barbie and you have sort of Ken being a sort of sidekick to the female character, does it does it feel striking for a reason? Does it is it because it's unusual in movies, or do you not recognise it as unusual? Or yeah, how do you feel about that? I mean, it's unusual because it doesn't happen as often. I mean, you're so used to guy uh, to films where the guys are either the main pair, and you know, I grew up on films like Lethal Weapon and stuff like that. But but then you know, the, I mean, we've watched films where that's not the case and and it's perfectly fine and i guess because you know you can't go into this this film isn't called ken this is, you can't walk into this film thinking this is the ken movie and why is there so much barbie you're sitting there thinking well it's amusing and i think what is so different about it is the way that they have placed ken in there as in the role that he's in and i think you know i did use the term reply guy earlier but that's kind of what he is you know, he, he exists for her validation. Um, and I think, you know, when he is a kind of sidekick or that, and, uh, you know, even at the end, he still misreads some of what she says and tries to kiss her. <laughs> so it's the, how yes. much of a lesson has he really learned? But, um, you know, we're, we're all on a journey and, and he still gets to have a go on the slide, which would be fun. <laughs> One thing that I really like about Greta Gerwig's writing and um, I really like, in particular, her films, Frances Hart and Mistress America, both of which she co-wrote with Noah Baumbach, like this one, uh, is that the way they kind of uh, sort of celebrate those like little incremental changes that an individual makes just to sort of move themselves forward just that little bit. And, you know, in, in that sense, some of their films can be quite uncomfortable to watch, like Frances Hart is quite uncomfortable to watch because it's really kind of quite realistic about a certain character and their sort of aspects of them that can be kind of quite selfish and self-involved and privileged but also you know their sort of self-loathing and 
uh, ways in which they're really thrashing around to try and sort of make sense of themselves. And I think that this one sort of, you know, obviously in a completely different genre of film, but it's sort of doing something really quite similar. And another film that we've got coming up as part of this series is Gregory's Girl. And actually, in terms of, you know, the way someone like Ken might be dealt with in, in this movie and and Barbie herself isn't kind of a million miles away from how, you know, Gregory in that film might be just sort of, you sort of watch him kind of moving about that schoolyard in this really sort of awkward way. He doesn't really know who he is. He's in the sort of the between worlds between childhood and adulthood. And he doesn't really know what he's good at yet. He doesn't really feel like he has a purpose, but because he does at one point sort of like summon up a bit of courage and ask someone out, that means that we know that he is moving forward and he is getting braver and he's getting sort of more confident about him being Gregory being good enough. And I think quite often, maybe when we talk about relationships on this podcast, it's sort of, sometimes it can kind of amount to that, can't it? Maybe like in 500 Days of Summer or something, you just need to feel like the people feel more comfortable in themselves by the end of the story and that they're going to use that for good rather than for evil. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think um, when you watch these films and when you see characters developing and and while at the end of this they sort of return back to where they were-ish, you know, and we've all learned something, which is the main thing. But um, I, I think you do enjoy the kind of trip that they do. And it's, uh, and I think unless you're completely thick headed, you're going to be able to see the subtleties here. And yes, there are s- several digs and creative ways of having a joke at the expense of, you know, those people who are actually in power. And I mean, even one of the bits where Ken asks for a job, a high paying job. And he says, you're not doing the patriarchy very well. And he says, oh, we are. We're just better at hiding it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that kind of, yeah. you know, social, <laughs> a bit of social commentary there. Um, yeah. You know, and and little things like, you know, we can laugh. And I mean, one of the last iterations of Barbie and Ken was in the Toy Story films. And Ken was voiced by Michael Keaton, which was quite funny. But he was played in a similar way. He was very much kind of the and Ken. He was, you know, he wasn't Ken. He was and Ken. So there, there was kind of that with it as well. And you still have, even when they go into the real world, and Barbie says to the workman, I don't have a vagina. He does not have a penis. We have no genitals. And Ken still has to tell him, I go, I have all the genitals. <laughs> Complete lack of self-awareness. But he's just like, no, I don't I don't have nothing. I have everything. Because that's the world. That. <laughs> Very funny. I mean, this is the thing that's fascinating about Barbie. When you, when you start to think about it as a concept, you think, it is quite interesting that that Barbies have been so popular with children for so many decades now, and they're a big multi-million dollar business. And this film is making incredible business. And yet it is true that in, you know, kind of like when it comes to movies being made for adults, it is a kind of underrepresented genre, the thing of the female-led movie that you know feels like something that everyone can go and see whereas like when a bond film comes out everyone goes to see bond or when even top gun comes out a new a new top gun you know i mean maybe more guys than women see that but still you know it's a big mix whereas this one i think that it was probably i get the feeling that you know i know some guys that have gone to see it now but they wouldn't necessarily have gone to see it at the beginning and i understand why that is i don't think that's to do with them being sexist or anything it's because you know as you said earlier you might think that it's for kids and you know you wouldn't necessarily go and see a movie that's for kids but i was thinking yeah it is quite interesting that it's obviously such a big business for for there to be films that everyone goes to see with you know, with the woman being at the centre, and yet it's something that's kind of underrepresented. Yeah, I guess, I mean, this is, I think, the first female directed or or made film that's made a billion dollars. So you hope it starts to generate that, and not just because it's off a successful brand already. I mean, I don't know, I can't remember the list of the others, but, but I think... There is enough here because I think had they gone down the road of just making a Barbie toy movie, it wouldn't have had that cross appeal. And 
because there's enough here for, as you say, most people, it does appeal to kids, even though in the UK it was a 12A. So if you, you know, you have to take kids with an adult. So I think that there was a broad enough appeal. And I think, you know, people talking about Ryan Gosling's performance and the fact that, you know, people want to go and see, you know, it's kind of, if you take the, the branding away, it's still attractive people in a glamorized fantasy world. Hollywood's done for a hundred years. Um, and people will always want to go and see that no matter what, uh, no matter the story, as long as it's well-made and well-received and funny and has song and dance numbers like the films of a hundred years ago. Yes. Yes. Um, my, my niece, one of, one of her favorite jokes in the film, one of the ones that she laughed the most at was the moment when Barbie has her existential crisis and starts crying and says, I'm no longer conventional Barbie. I'm not conventionally pretty anymore and Helen Mirren's voiceover says Margot Robbie is the wrong person to cast if you want to make this point <laughs> <laughs> so I think I think she really appreciated the fact that as you say even though it's sort of raising some of these questions and being quite satirical it's also you know using extremely attractive actors and you know everyone looks amazing the whole film looks extraordinary and it's got song and dance numbers. And so even though it's subversive, but only up until a point. Doesn't seem to matter what I do. I'm always number two. No one knows how hard I tried. Oh, oh I, I have feelings that I can't explain. Driving me insane. All my life been so polite But I'll sleep alone tonight Cause I'm just kidding Anywhere else I'd be dead Is it my destiny to live and die A life of blood fragility I'm just kidding And yeah, even just to appeal to us man children, there are gags around the the bit where Ken and Ken were saying about I'm going to beat you off, and because that sounds like something rude, and of course, yes. you know, you you might mishear that, and you know, so I'll have to play that quote of Do you ever see that clip of um, Dan Stevens on GMTV? Um, oh yeah, that's very funny. That's very funny. <laughs> And a big opportunity for you in Hollywood. You must have had to beat off a lot of American men to get this part. <laughs> <laughs> Why does that make you giggle? Did you not have to beat them off? You had With to, a big to stick? get the role. There was imagine there was quite a few men up for the role as well. Is there were. Fair? There were. Um... <laughs> and compose yourself. You know the little gags of was it weird, Barbie? who said something like, I'd love to see what kind of nude blob he's packing under those jeans. Yes. Yes. You know, there's kind of, there's something for the adults there as well. Personally, I'm always a little bit annoyed by this idea that each film has to be very specifically aimed at a particular kind of demographic because, I don't know about you, but when I was young, it was a whole sort of random mix of things that appealed to me. Like what things resonate with you at different times of your life? You know, many of the films that we've talked about, a lot of them, you kind of have to see them at the right time and whether they're formative years or you're old enough to appreciate them. But like you say, you don't have to watch a film because it's aimed at exactly you. And I mean, you can sit there now with the benefit of hindsight and go, I'm pretty sure when they wrote Robocop, that was aimed at exactly my demographic. Cause I think I was seven when that came out, even though I loved <laughs> Robocop, but, um, but yeah, and I, I know what you mean though. It's like, Yes, Barbie is a child's toy aimed predominantly at girls. And it's nice that everyone can take something away from it. But, you know, it doesn't have to be the way. I mean, you know, if a film's good enough, people will watch it. You know, was Jaws aimed at a particular demographic? I mean, I think something like Jaws and Spielberg's stuff in general is is a really good example, actually, because I was thinking that when I went to see Jurassic Park the other day, I was thinking, this is terrifying. This is a terrifying film. Spielberg made terrifying films for kids. It's quite an interesting thing that 
feels as if we, we we've kind of um we've gone into a different era now where maybe we expect less of kids in terms of their sensibility or whatever but um as you say jaws is just something that uh, that appeals to so many different people and is you know ultimately kind of a horror film so uh, i mean so got raiders of the lost ark you know people's faces melted at the end of that it didn't do me any harm and i think that's what's good about this movie actually is that it doesn't patronize anyone it 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 expects the adults to be able to be silly and expects the kids to you know be sophisticated which kids are so i think that's a great thing about it really yeah i mean like you say it's just well made and we can all come away thinking we enjoyed that we don't have to worry about what will it take for her to see the man behind the tan do you think um that everyone will enjoy it though i mean there, there will be people who don't get it there will be people who find the humor either too personal and take offense at it or they yeah or i mean you know not everyone finds everything funny or sit you know they might just see the message as preachy or whatever and you know immediately belittle it as i don't know there aren't enough explosions in it or something like that i mean that's the sort of thing i'd think normally but um but i i think you know, it's done a billion dollars. I mean, that's no guarantee of quality. I mean, I can't remember Avatar, and that that got loads of money. But um, I've never seen that. Yeah, I haven't seen the second one either. I don't. I have no intention of seeing it either. Weirdly, I'd have. I'd rather watch this again than Avatar two, which probably says a lot. But yeah. Which bits resonated with you the most? Which bits did you like the most? <laughs> I am. Um, I mean, honestly, the. The Ken, I think the Ken discovering in the real world bits kind of were, they they kind of appealed to, as this kind of teenagery stuff. You know, it's like, and again, obligatory Friends reference here. Um, the episode of Friends where Phoebe's brother came to New York and he said, what do you want to do? I want to go to Times Square and get ninja stars. And <laughs> yeah see a prostitute or something like that and it's like kid in a sweet shop kind of stuff you've got ryan gosling walking around seeing men talking seriously and men working out and men getting out of like stretched hummers and things like that and you kind of feel like that that must be like wow imagining sort of getting those kind of emotions and feelings and things like that are weird um but yeah and i guess funny enough if if you know you, you do recognize ken in a lot of behaviours of guys, probably online more than anything, but in real life as well, it's uh, it's amusing when you recognise it and think, "Ah, huh, yeah, okay, that's that's why that's in there." It's quite funny. What, what about you? So Did- you think what you think you think that men you think that men not online um, would behave ambivalently towards women and try and make them their super low maintenance? What's the quote? You got, you've got the quote. Long term, long distance, low commitment, casual girlfriend. So you think that only happens online? No, no, I'm no. Tell no, you it does not. No, 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 no. I, I know it doesn't. I just think there's a particular guy online who thinks that as well, and I think they're kind of maybe they're a bit more obvious to spot because it's a more public forum, more public domain. But um, no, oh no, absolutely. I, yeah, this that that thing goes on. That this is not such a niche joke that it's only if you're on Twitter. It's um, yeah. I mean, that, it's not. It, it's like when council spend money on writing stop in the middle of the road they spend that money because they have to because enough people haven't stopped this joke's in there because it's a real thing and obviously it's happened so many times this isn't just a niche thing i'm not pointing fingers here this is just yeah it's funny it works what did you think about the bit where she went to the police station Um, the problem is, is that's also very realistic, I reckon. I mean, maybe they're, again, like the patriarchy, they're better, at, you'd think they'd be better at hiding it. But um, yeah. but yeah, they really weren't subtle, were they? But I, I loved, again, slight, sut- these subtle sight gags where Barbie had on her board that she was holding for the photo, Barbie, and Ken said, and Ken. <laughs> Just to keep him that in his place. Good. I have to say, on both viewings, one bit that I laughed out loud at was the bit in his big song, just the line, I'm just Ken and I'm enough and I'm great at doing stuff. <laughs> I don't know why, I just think that's brilliant. 
it's like the climax of the song. It's fantastic. And the, yeah. the other bit was it in I'm Ken in the real world I'd be a ten. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I, I'll give an honourable mention to purely because it was a great bit of casting and I think one of the scenes it really was great was Alan and Michael Cera was um yes that scene where that scene where he basically fought all the guys off so that the uh so that Barbie and Gloria and Sasha could get back to Barbie world it was um proper kind of weird like fantasy kind of violence but 12a Barbie violence so it's okay yeah loved Alan we all need an Alan in our lives. <laughs> and even <laughs> even in the voiceover, they said, this is Alan. There are no multiples of Alan, just Alan. <laughs> That's fantastic. Which films do you think it owes the most to, in terms of the ones that you've seen anyway? Um, I mean, Because I think so- she is a massive film fan, Greta Gerwig, and I think that kind of comes through in this. You, you feel as if it's referencing a lot of things or taking inspiration from a lot of things, don't you? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the whole 2001 thing is just not, you know, that that's kind of there. And it's very, yeah, obviously it's very deliberate with the, the imagery and the music. But um, I mean... Oh, I love a- that. What, a, what an opening. So good. Yeah, <laughs> so funny. Because um, that was the trailer as well, I think, wasn't it? The, yes, uh, yes. I mean, there's elements of like the Truman Show in there that was that was quite, you know. Yeah, good of, point. Yeah, that was kind of the one I, I kind of took away thinking because that was very much a kind of someone realizing that they weren't, well, a slightly the opposite, and that Barbie thinks she's the center of the universe, and Truman kind of doesn't realize that he is. But there's still that kind of quest to find a little bit more of what's going on. That was yes. kind of the thing that stuck in my head. Really, was Truman Show. But what, what about you? What did you think? I thought that it took a bit of inspiration from Clueless. Hmm. I think that um, it's known that they thought a little bit about how Cher at the beginning of Clueless puts her clothes together, you know, on that app that she's got on her computer. she That's how she puts her outfits together. And the, at the beginning of the film where um, Barbie looks at her outfits, it's kind of a little bit of a nod to that. And I think that you can see that. And then also... Uh, Romy and Michelle, the the way that quite a lot of Romy and Michelle is kind of played out in that sort of dream sequence. So uh, it's not just a short dream sequence in Romy and Michelle, like kind of they give over about a quarter of the film to a sort of like a, a another world that doesn't really exist where everyone's sort of playing these heightened, weird versions of themselves. And um, I kind of thought that the Barbie world is a little bit like that bit in Romeo and Michelle. And also the big dance sequence at the end of Romeo and Michelle, it has, even though it's very different in style to the one that Ken gives at the end of this, it has that same absolutely bizarre, this has taken a weird turn kind of feeling to it, <laughs> which I love. And um, yeah, and the costume designer for Clueless and Romeo and Michelle um, is a woman called Mona May, who I think actually once... Um, commented on one of our Instagram posts and I think I got very excited you'll remember that moment <laughs> and yeah I, I thought that her work kind of looked like it was having a bit of an influence on the way the clothes look in this movie and just the way the sets look you know it's got that incredibly vibrant quite amazing very tangible quality to it doesn't it this this movie yeah because there was that like rumor doing the rounds that because they use so much pink on the set it caused a worldwide shortage of the, pink, <laughs> of the shade of pink and then someone turned around and went uh, no it's actually because it was covid but um this is a good story yes we'll carry on i think when people look back on this movie they will remember an aspect of it which is that it was written during lockdown and i think that greta goig said that one of the reasons why it's so kind of weird and ambitious in terms of what it's trying to cram in is because it was written by the two of them in these kind of conditions where they didn't really kind of know whether, you know, cinema was going to kind of happen again in the same way. And they didn't really think that they were going to get it made even. So they just let their imaginations run wild. And it kind of really reflects that. And also the way Barbie opts to step out of her perfect world and into the messiness of, you know, the real world, I think kind of reflects how, everyone you know over the last few years will have got very used to sort of or at least 
people fortunate enough to be able to kind of, you know, live a lot of their lives virtually, there's the kind of the idea of sort of stepping out then and kind of doing things in person, kind of opting for sort of, you know, like the kind of messiness of sort of like, you know, meeting people in person and all of the kind of like social awkwardness and the bizarre things that can like life can throw up and kind of opting for that rather than um, playing it kind of, you know, as you say, I mean, you've, you've raised a few times during this chat, I think, about the idea of Ken being a reply guy. And that's really interesting because it's sort of in keeping with what I was thinking in terms of it almost being like they're making an argument for the real world versus the virtual world. Hmm. And you could, yeah, you could kind of apply that to us, like spending too much time on our screens or whatever, couldn't you? Yeah, maybe our, our screens are the Barbies of this decade or something. But uh, is that a bit meta? But it's funny that um, you said about that, and this was a lockdown project. You know, most people started a podcast or made sourdough bread. This people made a billion dollar movie. It's uh, <laughs> what's going on? Remember sourdough what's bread? The- well, this is the this is the funny thing about this film is that it's making such a great argument for this idea that you know you are enough. You don't have to be extraordinary. You know, if you're if you're a woman or if you're a man, you can just sort of you know take pride in yourself, and you don't have to be massively successful. And in order to make that point, they accidentally made an incredibly successful film. It's kind of like the producers, isn't it? <laughs> Do you think they were trying to lose money on this? Yeah. <laughs> Well, well, they're kind of stepping on their own point. It's like everyone watching this thinking, thank you, Greta, for being a representative of women that are just enough without having to be really successful. Now you're one of the most successful filmmakers ever. So, um, And off the back funny, of this, really. yeah, we're going to have 50 films based on more toys now. So, uh, yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> I am a bit worried about that. How do you think that's going to go? I, I think this is going to be one of these, like, Ah, yeah, maybe we should have just left it at Barbie. I mean, there might be a Cindy version. That'd be weird. Did Cindy have a and Ken? I think Cindy must have had a... um, I don't think it would have been called Ken, but I I certainly played with Cindy's rather than Barbie's predominantly when I was young. So I should know this, but this shows you how... (laughs) How how much more relevant Cindy was to her male counterpart? The fact that I don't know this, so but um, but there were male there were there were there were guys around. They were sort of you know just um playing keepy uppies in the background. Okay, yeah, well that's so. a good good thing to do. But that's what all the cool kids were doing. Ken isn't something we're worried about ever. Okay, I'll just um I'll get in the box then. All right, yes. Oh, but since I came all this way, could I just meet the woman in charge, your CEO? Oh, that would be me. Oh, your CFO. Me? Your COO. Here. President of the Barbie division. I'm a man with no power. Does that make me a woman? It's weird. This character was very similar in a way to the one he did in the Lego movie, where he was the kind of... Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. Yeah. He was, I mean, he was kind of the, the villain, but only because the Lego movie was a, a big lego set in the movie was just kind of the imagination and he was tearing it down but yes it was an odd one i mean it was it was amusing to hear his justification for you know females have been at the heart of mattel we had a female ceo in the 90s and um uh, um you know and the whole boardroom was just full of white guys making decisions about sparkle and things like that so uh, yes. yes yes uh yeah, well, it was interesting to have him in it because uh, it does remind me a little bit of Elf, this film, totally. <laughs> yeah. and, and the way it sort of um, kind of has that feeling of kind of merging the fantasy world with the real world feels kind of similar, doesn't it, to this in some ways? Yes, and I think yeah. that both physically and metaphorically getting Barbie back in her box, as in... You've been out for too long. Get back in your box. Back in your box. Yes. Yes, completely. I really like the bit with Kate McKinnon trying to persuade her to take the Birkenstock and her continually trying to take the heel instead. That was very fun. Nothing wrong with a good Birkenstock. I thought that the everyone is Ken bit was a little bit like Life of Brian. We're all individuals. I'm not. (laughs) I'm Ken and so is my wife. Yeah. (laughs) 
exactly. <laughs> Did any of it uh, move you emotionally, Rich? Ooh. Did you cry? Um, I didn't cry. Or did you feel like you might cry at any I, part? Um, I think when Ken got shot with a plastic arrow, I thought that would be like <laughs> a, a glorious death befitting of our film's hero. But um, it's not his film, so it doesn't matter. And um, I don't know. I think that scene was funny, but I think ultimately kind of it was just nice that everything went back to some sort of normality. Um, I, I wouldn't say it, I, it moved me, but um, I definitely felt like they managed everything quite nicely. But um, to be fair, I, I get moved at like the end of Terminator too, so I don't, I don't know. But um, but what about yourself? Yeah, I I mean I I found I found bits of the the kind of the relationship between the mother and the daughter quite moving, and quite like the bit where she sees the older woman on the bench. And, but I think I did, I think on both occasions, I did find myself welling up a little bit at um, the final, the final sequence with um, Rhea Perlman, Carla from Cheers playing <laughs> Ruth Handler. And, um, and not just because it was Carla from Cheers and everyone from Cheers makes me cry. And that sequence where they show all the camcorder footage, I think is all gleaned from uh, the the archives of the people working on the film so all the all the people you see in that that sequence of people that were involved in the film and there's something quite nice about that and again kind of takes the film sort of in in another direction that you're not necessarily expecting it to go but um yeah i think that bit kind of snuck up on me a little bit on both on mm. both occasions yeah. yeah because it has that thing of you know just being like there's something about opting opting for real life when real life means all of the mess and someone going yeah i'm gonna opt in for it anyway i mean it's that's a little bit like um eternal sunshine that we spoke mm. about isn't it? like that's what they do they kind of go we know that if we do this relationship we know that it's going to be hard and possibly won't even work but we'd rather try than not so yeah yes and what was the first thing she did as a real life woman like pinocchio straight to the doctors <laughs> Well, as we book an appointment with the relevant healthcare professional and redecorate our Mojo Dojo Casa house, we leave you with a reminder that humans only have one ending, but podcasts live forever. I've been Barbie. And I've been And Ken. And this has been Don't You Want Me. Watch me.